Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You are joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, Zara McDonald, and hello, Annabelle Lee. We are remote recording. We certainly are. Hello. (laughs) Guys, I miss you already. Coming up on today's show, Kanye West has his social media accounts locked and draws the ire of Gigi Hadid. Why Prince Harry's memoir may never be released. Carrie Bickmore departs the project. The oh-so-juicy claims that this year's Miss USA pageant was rigged. And then it feels like every corner of the internet is declaring Thin is in. If that's the case, who's to answer for it? First, Michelle, how was your week? Oh, guys, I am to blame for the remote recording today. It's been an interesting week. I feel like I'm maybe a year too late in finally getting COVID. (laughs) She's the last person in Australia to catch it. Wait, no, Annabelle hasn't had it. It's me. I'm yet to get it. I'm invincible. She is. Annabelle's yet to get it. And I've got to say, I probably underestimated how much it would knock me around. It's been an interesting few days. I got it on the weekend. I am starting to feel better though. If my words don't quite make sense, I do have a request for the listeners. Just let it slide for one week because they don't even make sense in my head, right? (laughs) I'm sure we ask them to slide every week though. We're like, whatever we say, just don't take it seriously. (laughs) So they're used to the request. No, I I thought you were the last person in Australia, as I said, but no, it's got to be Annabelle. Well, it's October. So you know what? We thought the very least you're getting married next month. Thank God. A hundred percent. I have my hens in a few weeks or like a couple of weeks now. I'm getting married next month. As far as getting COVID is concerned, October 2022 suits me just fine. So I'm currently chugging a Gatorade as I sit here and do this recording. And let's just hope I make it to the end. You're basically, it's basically <laughs> just like you're hungover. A hundred percent. I do have two recommendations for the listeners. Good stuff. So I want to recommend Zara. I think you'll like this. Have you heard about marriage on ABC iView? 
I did a naughty thing, which I'm not allowed to do. But when I saw this in your notes, I Googled it and I was like, oh my God, this looks so like me. Yes, you pesky little rat. It does sound a lot <laughs> like you actually. So if you guys liked the split, we all know that Zara McDonald is like the patron saint of recommending the split to shameless listeners. Now, Marriage has the same lead actress and a potentially like similar thread. She is also a lawyer in this show. So I know there's like a bit of overlap, but that doesn't really come into it. It's not really about law whatsoever. That's like a side story that she happens to be a lawyer. She has a very interesting marriage dynamic and over four very like extremely British episodes, you get a very interesting insight into this marriage and how it functions and how it is dysfunctional. And this series, although it's only four episodes and I'm pretty sure it's a one-off thing, it's going to be one season, it's one and done. Four episodes. Four episodes, but it's British. This is the thing. The Brits do things so well. It's brief and it's short, but it's beautifully done. And I can tell you now, this series marriage has had my entire family talking for weeks from my sister to my mum to my nan to my dad we're all obsessed with it and every week that we've met up for brunch all we can talk about is like the latest episode of marriage and what we think it all means is it new it's brand new so it's just finished so episode four just aired last week and now it's done forever every episode is about an hour I know it's going to be divisive as well. I need to say that. My sister's husband hated it. Couldn't stand it, didn't get the hype. So if that's you, totally get it. I told you my tidbit, which I think is true about British TV and, you know, the short seasons that they make, haven't I? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've told the listeners. So my favourite fun fact (laughs) of all time is that when David Cameron, I think it was David Cameron anyway, correct, <laughs> former UK Prime Minister, was Prime Minister, he was getting really mad that British television would have such short and sharp series. Like, you know, The Office only went for one series, but when the US picked it up, it went for like 100. Annabelle, you would know as a Steve Carell <laughs> fan. Yeah. And so David Cameron... When he went to, I think, 30 Rock, met up with Tina Fey to try and get Tina Fey to, like, educate UK TV makers and stuff to make more television. And I'm like, in what world does David Cameron think he has any power here? (laughs) Well, apparently the very, very short seasons over in the UK weren't generating enough income for the entertainment industry. Like, they wanted more episodes, more seasons, so that more money is being pumped into the economy. But I know it might not be good for the economy. It's bloody good for the art. Like four episodes where you don't get a neat bow and everything and you don't have every loose end tied up. I almost think this is a 10 out of 10 watch (gasps) for me. I I think the split is marvellous. This is an extremely like highbrow, high quality, beautifully acted, beautifully scripted production. And Are I'm you just, trying to say it's better than The Split? No, no, no. I don't think anything could be better than The Split. Okay. I just I wanted think, to check. I think it's The Split's <laughs> very worthy sibling. Beautiful. Very worthy sibling. Beautiful. Yes. What's your second rec? My Throw second rec. I'm curious, Annabelle, I feel like yes. you might have watched this this week. Maybe I'm wrong. Have either of you caught The Luckiest Girl Alive? It's that new Mila Kunis no, movie it's, that's went live on Netflix. It's on my list. I'm definitely keen to. Okay. I watched it. Oh. I'm not recommending the movie. I okay. Think- <laughs> hey, all right. Oh, it's not on my list anymore. <laughs> think, I think Mila Kunis is incredible. I thought she did an incredible job in the film wasn't my fave ever, but it was one of those films. I finished it. It was okay. It sent me on like 
a wild goose chase for like every little skerrick of information I could get about the book. The book was published back in 2015 by a writer called Jessica Knoll. And I just found her story really interesting. I didn't realize that the real story behind this fictional novel and now this movie is actually inspired by Jessica Knoll's true experience. I will give a trigger warning. It does involve sexual assault. So only watch it if you're in a place where you can kind of cope with that. But Jessica Knoll wrote this incredible piece for Lenny Letter back in 2017 called What I Know. And it was her coming clean with the public for the first time and kind of acknowledging that this is her real story and this was her lived experience. And it's just a really beautifully, poignantly, powerfully written essay from Jessica Knoll in Lenny Letter, which is now defunct, but you can still access it. So I highly recommend that piece. Good Rex this week. She's been consuming the content. I mean, I've had fucking nothing else to do. I've just been at home. So thank you for that. What about you? How was your week? Good. I actually also have two recommendations. So I'm going to zoom through them because I didn't do much with my week and I also just consumed stuff. My recommendations are so much daggier than yours, just on the whole, (laughs) like way daggier. The first thing I want to recommend is another TV show. I don't know what's gotten into me in 2022, but it turns out I can't pick up a book and read a book. All I want to do is watch TV. I have been watching Virgin River. Now, the thing about Virgin River is when I told people that's what I was watching, I got three responses that were exactly the same from three of my friends. And that response was, oh, yeah, my mum watches that. (laughs) The mums have good taste. Now, Virgin River is like one of those TV shows where it's obvious, it's pretty cliche, but it's so, so comfy to watch. It's about a nurse that moved from LA to like this little town called Virgin River where there's nothing going on. And it's basically about that town. And I don't know what else to say beyond it's very American. They're, quite a few of the characters are like ex-army soldiers. And you know what America's like with those kinds of narratives. Oh, yes. But I'm really enjoying it. I'm already through the first season. They've also made four seasons. So I feel like if they're making four seasons of something, it can't be bad. Apart Mate, from that just goes against. I know. I just, I just realized that. <laughs> I know. I know we just said that less is more, but in this case, more is more. So it's, it's daggy. Someone tried to compare it to Heart of Dixie, but I haven't seen that show. So take it and leave it. Okay. What's your favorite thing about it? It's really comfortable. It's beautiful (laughs) and comfortable, but it won't set your world on fire. But I also think you need shows like that in your orbit. The second recommendation I have for you is a podcast recommendation. Well, it's an episode because I know we've listened to this podcast before. It's an episode of The Remembering Project by Hamish and Andy. Are you guys still listening to that? No, I never listened to that show. I love The Remembering Project, but I feel like it's not the kind of show that I listen to once a week. I'll remember that it exists. I've probably missed a whole season of it and then I'll binge like 10 episodes at once. Maybe that's why it's called The Remembering Project. (laughs) Now, for those who aren't aware what this show is, basically Hamish and Andy go back through the archives of their old radio show. So they'll pick a date and they'll pick a year and they'll try to remember what they spoke about on the radio show that day and they'll go back through the run sheet and see what they can talk about. Now, I have long said 
that my favorite segment of all time of any podcast, of any radio, and Michelle, I swear I've told you about this multiple times, is a segment that Hamish and Andy did, I think it was in 2008, called The Thing That Just Happened. You have told me about this. So I, I know it's important to you. It is important you, to me. It I think is multiple times across our friendship, you've turned to me and been like, that was just, that was golden radio. <laughs> well, that was that amazing. We, now that we work in content, I'm like, that is fucking 10 out of 10 content. <laughs> Basically what they did is, I'll tell this very quickly, is they, you know, were having a conversation about how when you listen to radio, it's very fickle. At every second, there are people tuning in and tuning out. And they were like, let's punish the people that haven't been listening to the radio today or to our show from start to finish. So what we'll do is in five seconds, we'll blow a horn. And from then, we're going to pretend that the funniest thing that ever happened on radio just happened. And we're not going to tell them what happened because everyone knows that unique pain of logging onto radio, whatever it is, and not really knowing what's going on and wanting to be part of it. And so they went on this for five minutes and it's so incredibly funny. And so they did a remembering project about this. And I was so nervous going into it that it wasn't going to be as funny as I remember. You know, when you're like, fuck, is this going to be shit? It was just as funny as I remember. So I want you guys to listen to that. Season four of the Remembering Projects only on Listener, on the Listener app at the moment, but the Listener app's free. So I I can't recommend that more. Oh, I love that, Rick. Good job. I mean, the first one wasn't really my cup of tea, but the second one was great. (laughs) I feel like you would actually love Virgin River, but that's fine. That is fine. Should we actually get into the quick and dirty today? Because we got a bit to cover. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, today we are covering the top six stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Zara Virgin River McDonald, take us away. What are we starting with? Sounds different when you make it my middle name, I feel. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say it sounds less cool, but it actually doesn't sound like a cool TV show. Anyway, my first story, Kanye West's Instagram and Twitter accounts locked over anti-Semitic posts. That is from The Guardian. Yeah, it's been another terrible week of social media activity from Ye or Kanye West as most people know him. As reported by The Guardian, Twitter actually locked his account on the weekend because of the following tweet. We will give a trigger warning. Fast forward about 15 seconds if you don't want to hear this. I'm a bit sleepy tonight, but when I wake up, I'm going death con three on Jewish people. The funny thing is I actually can't be anti-Semitic because black people are actually Jew. Also, you guys have toyed with me and tried to blackball anyone who opposes your agenda. Now, that tweet was removed due to what Twitter called a violation of their company policies and his account was locked. Other anti-Semitic posts on Instagram saw Meta, so the company behind Facebook and Instagram, restrict. Kanye's access to those accounts too. To be clear, neither company is very transparent with what locking someone from their account actually means. I'm getting the impression Kanye can't actually get into his accounts right now, or if he can get into his accounts, he can't actually do anything publicly. He can't leave any comments. He can't like things. He can't post things. Yeah. And it's unspecified for how long it's going to be for, right? Like it's not like a full-blown Donald Trump banning. I mean, as we know, this move came after Kanye's super, super controversial Fashion Week show at Paris Fashion Week. I mean, much of that story broke in the hours after we recorded last week's episode. So as a quick recap for anyone who might've missed this, because there has been so many Kanye headlines around this week. 
Kanye sent a model down the catwalk in a White Lives Matter t-shirt. Now, many of the high-profile people watching on that show expressed their disgust. We had Jaden Smith walking out. We had Edward Enifel, the incredibly powerful editor-in-chief of British Vogue, call the shirt insensitive given the state of the world. Now, another person, Mish, who watched that Paris catwalk in real time was Vogue's global fashion editor-at-large, Gabriella Carifa Johnson. Yeah, she expressed her dismay at the show on her Instagram stories where she wrote, there is no excuse, there is no art here. I do think if you asked Kanye, he would say there was art and revolution and all of the things in that T-shirt. There isn't. Now, Kanye, as Kanye has done so many times before, did not at all like someone disagreeing with him or expressing an opinion that he did not share. So in response, he proceeded to mock Gabriella's appearance to his 18 million Instagram followers. In one instance, he posted a full-length photo of Gabriella with the caption, this is not a fashion person. Now, I think we can only imagine the kinds of people who are following Kanye West, the kind of magnitude of his following as well, what this did to Gabriella's experience of the internet last week. She wrote on Instagram, I've fielded some serious volatility over the last couple of days, but nothing has been quite as bad as what people have said about my body and the way I look. The fat phobia jumped out. Yes, I am fat. No, I am not humiliated to show up as my authentic self in the world. I think what was important to see when it came to this story or what was great to see when it came to this story was first and foremost, like Gabriella's resolve. I mean, mm. she's incredibly powerful in the fashion industry herself, but just as equally how high profile people also came to publicly support her. I mean, you had people like Gigi Hadid comment on Kanye's since deleted post saying, you wish you had a percentage of her intellect. You have no idea. There's actually a point to any of your shit. She might be the only person that could save you as if the honor of being invited to your show should keep someone from giving their opinion. Lol, you're a bully and a joke. I love Gigi Hadid for this. First of all, obsessed with Gabriella. I think the way she handled this, as you said, Zara, was just really impressive. And her resolve the whole way through was incredible. I also just love Gigi Hadid. Like, lol, you're a bully and a joke. So sums it up. Yeah, especially I think when we have so many conversations publicly about you know, what do you do when you are not friends with someone who's doing things like this, but certainly friends with people in their orbit. I mean, we mm. know that she's quite good friends with Kendall Jenner and members of the family to say, no, I'm just going to put my name to this and make sure that you know that this is not okay. Hayley Bieber also jumped on her Instagram stories and wrote, my respect for Gabriella runs deep. To know you is to adore you and to work with you is an honor. The most kind, the most talented, the most fun, the most chic. She didn't mention Kanye in her post, took a little bit of a different tact to Gigi Hadid, but just did send love to Gabriella. Regardless, Kanye too took issue with that. Yeah. In retaliation to that, this really kind of took my breath away how Kanye got so offended by that post, which didn't even mention him. He decided to publicly accuse Hailey Bieber of getting a nose job. He also used the nickname Haley Baldloose to describe her and posted photos and kind of screen grabs that kind of insinuated that maybe Haley once slept or at least dated Drake. And I think Haley Baldloose in conjunction with those kind of screenshots was probably the rhetoric that what Kanye West was trying to slut shame 
Hayley Bieber? Is that what he was trying to do? What does Hayley Baldloose mean if he's not trying to slut shame her? Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. And I think the other element of this is kind of surprising, but then I don't know what's surprising and what's not anymore in this Mm. sort of like messy story is that Justin and Hayley have reportedly been friends with Kanye for a little while. Like we know Justin and Kanye have worked together. They also reportedly went to his ranch in Wyoming in 2020 to support him during his mental health crisis. So I think in the wake of these posts, there are sources from Justin Bieber's side talking to the media saying that he's kind of severing all ties with Kanye and ending the relationship. Yeah, 100%. I think another really interesting development this week is the movement away from talking about Kanye's behavior in conjunction with his mental health. I saw a really interesting tweet from Roxanne Gay this week that really rang true. She tweeted, Kanye has shown us who he is repeatedly. Anti-Semitism is not the symptom of mental illness. He is a bigot. He says whatever the hell he wants and people treat him like a harmless amusement, but there is nothing harmless about anti-Semitism, racism, and misogyny. I think that really sums it up well. And I think if anyone's listening to this going, oh, but you haven't spoken about how Kanye has struggled recently and that mental breakdown you just referenced in 2020, Zara, I think a lot of the people listening who do have mental illness or maybe do have bipolar disorder will say, well, my illness doesn't make me awful to the people around me. It doesn't make me racist and bigoted. These are two separate things and we should treat them as such now. Probably for too long, Kanye West has gotten a pass for his awful behavior. But really, it's just disgusting and inexcusable at this point. Yeah, I just don't think any of us are particularly well trained in talking about these stories. And I think that's fair enough because we don't have publicly that much experience in working out how to have these conversations properly. On the one hand, we, you know, want to have a lot of empathy for people who are struggling with their mental health. On the other hand, there should be like an absolutely zero tolerance policy for the things that he's saying. So in that sense, it's like, I kind of get why it's been a really messy conversation for a very long time, because I think people are trying to work it out as they go. Mm, Totally fair enough. To make matters even more bizarre, this element of the story just really got me. Apparently after Kanye came for Gabriella Karif, for Johnson. Anna Wintour organized an intimate meeting between the two of them last week. Apparently they met for two hours, but then on top of that, apparently that meeting was filmed by Baz Luhrmann, as in Baz Luhrmann from Moulin Rouge and Romeo and Juliet. It sounds like Baz Luhrmann is like following Kanye around at the moment or something and they're collaborating. He was in this meeting filming the whole thing. The Baz Luhrmann thing's weird. It's the Anna so Wintour weird. thing is not. The Anna Wintour thing is like the most Anna Wintour thing I've ever heard. She kind of considers herself this deity in the fashion industry. And truthfully, people consider her that too, where it's like my job is to bring people together and connect people constantly, no matter what that looks like. But the Baz Luhrmann thing is certainly weird. (laughs) Our second story, Prince Harry's tell-all memoir will never see the light of day because if it is published, there will be no way back for him into royal life, claims former Tatler and Vanity Fair editor. That is from Daily Mail. All right, so the question that is the talk of royal circles now that the morning period for the Queen is over and things have kind of settled at Buckingham Palace is what happens to Prince Harry's tell-all memoir. Now, some context for people. News broke last July that the Prince was set to write a memoir after the rights had been bought by Penguin Random House for a reported $20 million. Now, the interesting thing about this figure is that there's no consistency across the news outlets. Some people say 20 million pounds. Some people say 20 million Australian. Some people say 20 million US, which are all different figures. What we know is that there's a truckload of money on the line here. Now, Harry has actually teamed up 
with Pulitzer Prize winning ghostwriter, a guy named J.R. Moringa for the book, who has written the memoirs of Andre Agassi, which is one of the great memoirs of all time. You do love and that book, yep. Nike co-founder Phil Knight, which is one of the most popular memoirs of all time, just wow. not by the person talking right now. <laughs> now <laughs> he's, so he's got he's got the guy on the job. When the book was announced, it was slated for a, a late 2022 release, though we're in late 2022, team, and it looks like the book's <laughs> being pushed back again. Last month, The Telegraph reported that The Prince was making an 11th hour bid to kind of tone down certain aspects of the book in the wake of the Queen's death because he thought he might get vilified for saying whatever he might have been saying interesting so there's been no news on a new release date right like we're just kind of in limbo nothing that I could find I think they're being deliberately vague about it because I don't even know if they know now what's interesting about this story is Palace Papers author Tina Brown that book that I've spoken at length about on the show before yes has kind of weighed in and spoken about what she thinks is going to happen and keep in mind Tina Brown spent years kind of talking to the royal family, people around the royal family. And in an interview recently at a literary festival, she says she reckons now the book will never see the light of day. She said they are now in this bind where they've taken all this money and Harry has made this book deal where he's supposed to spill everything about his horrible life as a royal, but now he's actually tortured about it because he understands there's no way back if he does it. If the book continues, I don't think there's any way for Harry to return. So my view has always been that the book won't see the light of day. The window is beginning to close, but I always thought at some point a deal would be made and Charles would have to pay back the advance to start stop Harry writing the book. I mean, I don't think that can happen anymore because Tina's right. It does feel too late. But I also kind of wonder if Harry and Meghan are sensing the mood and are like, I don't know if this is going to help us. Right. I guess in my mind, I mean, I don't know anywhere near as much as Tina Brown. I need to put that on the record as well. I mean, <laughs> quite self-aware about that. To throw this out after it's been written, it's been slated for release, supposedly $20 million in God knows what currency has exchanged hands. (laughs) To me, it's like surely the more likely scenario is that he is waiting and the mood will naturally return. Like once the crown airs and people return to their kind of raised eyebrow mood towards the royal family instead of the grief that people are currently experiencing for the queen, I think that's more likely. Couldn't you just be waiting, waiting it out, waiting for the mood to return and then releasing this in the middle of next year? No, I think you're absolutely right in saying the mood will change with the crown airing and things like that. I think more so what I meant was the mood towards Meghan and Harry. I don't think that's going to change. I don't think this is going to do them any favours. What I do anticipate happening is this book actually being released to the world, but it being the most watered down, nothing-y book ever that's just what, what I think as part of that he would have to repay part of his advance because people are not going to buy a watered down version of his story I still would but <laughs> I because out of intrigue surely out of intrigue people would I don't know maybe not our third story inside Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchton's marriage and split Tom was hopeful that is from page six we spoke about Tom and Giselle on the show a month ago on September 15. Now, in that episode, we spoke about the rumours that these two were splitting after having what was reported to be a colossal argument over Tom Brady unretiring 
from professional football in the space of 40 days at 45 years old. No judgment yeah. from me, but lots of judgment from me. <laughs> oh, heaps of judgment from me. We're also unapologetically on Giselle's side here. I feel the need every time this story comes up to remind the listeners of that. Anyway, a month later, here we are. According to page six, who got the original scoop on that colossal fight a month ago, both Giselle and Tom have hired divorce lawyers. This is backed up by reporting from People magazine, page six is maybe number one rival, who say that Giselle has been working with her lawyers for, and I quote, a while on the matter. People magazine also reports that Tom Brady has engaged very high profile, high powered lawyers as well. So, it's happening. It seems like these two, after 13 years of marriage, are splitting. I, as I said when we kind of first touched on this story, it's very interesting to me that this has been public from the very beginning. Mm. Like it says to me, and this is me just purely speculating, that this Giselle's team, <laughs> I mean, we're, we're into that, aren't we? Is that Giselle's team has been leaking this entire time. Yeah, I agree. I think whoever is speaking to page six is extraordinarily well-placed. Like everything they've been saying has seemed to kind of come off. And what I found really interesting about the page six report this week was that it gave a lot of detail to the struggles that have been encountered in this marriage and kind of went away to illustrating a picture of a marriage that hasn't been healthy for a very long time. Page six sources have said that this isn't the first time Giselle Bunchen has consulted divorce lawyers. If the sources are to be believed, these two have had a pretty volatile marriage and Giselle first considered a divorce back in 2015 and spoke to lawyers about it seven years ago. So maybe so this is, yeah, that's like half the marriage that they've been Good talking maths. to lawyers. Yeah, I know. Thank you. Year maths, everyone. Mm. It sounds like half the marriage they've been really struggling. Yeah. And I think with that in mind, it's like, well, if you're going to struggle with something for that long, maybe it is for the best. If those reports are true. A thousand percent. Guys, coming up after the break, Angelina makes further claims about her marriage with Brad and Miss World rigging controversy has us captivated. Carrie departs the project and then a conversation about the headlines that scream thin is in. But first, a word from today's sponsor. Alrighty, Mish, our fourth story. Carrie Bickmore to depart the project after 13 years on air. That is from the Sydney Morning Herald. Yeah, guys, Carrie Bickmore will be leaving Channel 10's The Project at the end of this year. She has stepped down as presenter after 13 years on the job. I don't know if this is symptomatic of our generation, but anyone being in a job for 13 years just like blows my mind. Yeah. Well, I was like surprised that she was leaving. And then I was like, why am I surprised that she's leaving? She's been there for 13 years. Carrie's 41 now. She said that her oldest son, Ollie, was a year old when she started the show. He is now 15 years old, which is like pretty insane. Now she announced this news on Tuesday night on air. She said that she will remain on it till the end of the year. A main reason for it, she said, was she wants to spend more time with her kids, go to more cricket training sessions and piano practices, which is very fair. Totally fair enough. Carrie started the show in 2009 alongside Dave Hughes and Charlie Pickering, which feels like such a throwback. In 2011, she took a short break following the loss of her husband, Greg, who passed away after a 10-year-long battle with brain cancer. In 2015, Carrie won the Silver Logie for Best Presenter and the coveted Gold Logie as well. And then she used that opportunity to launch Carrie's Beanies for Brain Cancer. She's just, she is the best and she is such a loved character. 
in Australian television. And who knows? There are a bunch of rumors going around. A lot of people think she might be going to Channel 9 in a current affair. But we've got to wait and see. My fifth story. Angelina Jolie alleges physical abuse by Brad Pitt in countersuit. That is from The Guardian. Guys, trigger warning on this one. We will be detailing alleged domestic abuse in this story. Now, Zara, Angelina Jolie has shared new details of the 2016 plane fight that led to her leaving Brad Pitt. And she has given more details into what she described as abusive behavior. Yeah, I think the thing about this divorce in particular is it's really complicated and messy. And truthfully, there is more than one lawsuit going on, but we will kind of give you the top line details of headlines you might have seen around in the last week or so. So Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie are actually currently locked in a separate legal battle outside of their divorce over a French winery that they both once owned together. Now, Angelina essentially wanted to sell her part in that winery. And as part of those negotiations, Brad Pitt wanted her to sign a non-disclosure agreement that, according to the New York Times, would have, and I quote, contractually prohibited her from speaking outside of court about Pitt's physical and emotional abuse of her and the children. So her filing now in this new legal battle basically describes this extended physical and verbal outburst that she alleges happened in September 2016 as the family flew Mish from France to California. Yeah, the filing reads, Pitt choked one of the children and struck another in the face and grabbed Jolie by the head and shook her. At one point, and I quote, he poured beer on Jolie. At another, he poured beer and red wine on the children. Now, federal authorities who have jurisdiction over flights investigated this incident and they didn't bring criminal charges against Brad Pitt. Days after that plane trip, though, we do know that Angelina Jolie filed for divorce. A divorce lawyer for Brad named Anne Kiley told the New York Times that he has accepted responsibility for some things in his past, but that he would not be accepting responsibility for things he did not do. He has denied some of her allegations. Yeah, he has denied it. And I think what's interesting about this story is this story is not necessarily new at all. Like this, this kind of story about what happened on the plane has been, I guess I'll use the word breadcrumbed. I know that might sound a bit clunky to us over the last few years through, you know, legal filings. What I do find interesting is it hasn't got that much airtime. I think it hasn't got perhaps as much airtime as you'd imagine it would get given how big of a couple these two were. I mean, they were Brad and Angelina. They were the most famous couple in the world. And I, there was a really interesting piece on Laney Gossip this week that spoke about a couple of things. Firstly, that really interestingly detailed the publicity tour that Brad Pitt's team are on and who they're leaking to. And secondly, she spoke quite interestingly, or I should say she wrote quite interestingly about how Brad's new film, Babylon is coming out soon and so too is ward season and a lot of people there's a lot of money on the line when it comes to this film and Lainey was arguing that a lot of people are closing ranks on Brad Pitt because of that now I appreciate as well as we said this was investigated and there were no criminal charges brought against Brad but I also think this is Angelina and her children's story too and so both of those things need to be said. Yeah, I think that's all super interesting. I think more than anything, though, our attention spans are short. And I don't think, what is it now, six years later, people's attention will be as high as what it was when this first broke. This was a massive story when they first split. 
And as much as I'd love to sit here and hope that everyone pours over the details of this, I think when it gets so messy and it's so drawn out, people naturally turn away. And I do think that is the main reason. I don't think it's that people are so allured by the star of Brad Pitt because Angelina Jolie is also a massive star as well. I think people tire. I do think there is something about the golden boy charm of Brad Pitt though. And I won't say that I haven't been a victim of that over the years as well, that you kind of, that the brand of Brad is so strong that you just assume he's perfect. Like the brand of Brad is just stronger than most other celebrities. So I would say for sure that has to play a part anyway. Mm. Well, poll people on your Safe Friday, what do you think is the main component behind people turning away or maybe not paying much attention to this story? We'd love to hear your thoughts. Our sixth story for today's Quick and Dirty, pageant world implodes amid claims Miss USA was rigged. That is from news.com. All righty. So the 71st Miss USA was crowned on Monday. Now, it was a pretty historic win for Miss Texas, a woman named Arbany Gabrielle, who became the first Filipino-American to claim the title, which all sounds like good news, right? The problem is there's quite a bit of drama now, Mish, around this ruling, this ruling, this <laughs> crowning. <laughs> this finding. Yes, this finding. <laughs> because there is now intense scrutiny over the judging with accusations that it was all rigged. Yeah, as all good stories start, this one began with a TikTok user by the name of Jasmine Bruce who suggested that something was off when Miss USA was crowned. Now, in Jasmine's videos, which have since received about 3 million views. She said that something really stuck out to her when she watched The Crowning. She said something was just a little bit sketch about it. Now, Jasmine Bruce has like a lifetime worth of experience with pageantry as well. She said that she had been involved in pageants. She has watched basically every pageant crowning under the sun and something was very much off when it came to this crowning, Zara. Yeah, she basically, it all started because she was looking at what happened when Gabrielle was crowned and noticed how all the other contestants on the stage basically just walked off. They didn't wait, they didn't acknowledge her, they didn't hug her. And she compared that to other footage from other years where all the contestants, the fellow contestants run towards the winner, they watch her, you know, do her walk when she's crowned. It is really weird footage, watching them all not give a fuck and <laughs> yeah. walk off. So when I saw this, I was like, oh, yeah, I have to... I have to agree here. Even I also like a bit of drama, so I kind of want to talk about her too. But I did agree. Now, what added real fuel to the scandal was a couple of other fellow contestants came out and posted a set of really angry Instagram stories about it all. Now, Miss Georgia and Miss Montana claimed that Gabrielle was already attending a sponsored holiday less than 24 hours after the crowning ceremony, sharing a sponsored video from the resort, which appeared pre-recorded. Yeah, here's what Miss Montana, Heather Lee O'Keefe, wrote on Instagram. Miss USA was crowned less than 24 hours ago, yet she already got her sponsored vacation to at Nizu Resort. Are you kidding me? I was giving you all the benefit of the doubt, but this is just embarrassing at this point. I think it's even generous for people to say, oh, she was already on the sponsored holiday less than 24 hours after she won. This had to have been that she was on the sponsored holiday before the crowning ceremony. Yeah. Like you cannot, <laughs> you cannot get from the crowning ceremony to what, Mexico, do this full-blown shoot in the resort where you're getting massages done and you're like walking throughout the rooms and you're showing off all the best parts of the resort. Have that meticulously edited 
and shot by a videography team and then have that out in the world a day later. Like in my mind, this prize had to have been given to Miss Texas before she was publicly announced as the winner. There's no way in my mind that that timeline (laughs) makes sense. No, I agree. But I also kind of thought like if it was rigged, why post the video 24 hours later? Like, why aren't you trying a bit harder to make it look like it wasn't rigged? That's the thing. They're making it so obvious. It's like, like, like surely we, there has to be more here. You can't be that stupid or that obvious about this. Well, I feel a bit gaslighted because it's so obvious. You know, when the facts yeah. are staring you in the face, but they're just so stupid and so obvious <laughs> that I'm like, it can't be true. No one would be this stupid. No one would be this dumb. You would be annoyed. You'd be so annoyed. I mean, I'm not a lover of pageants myself, but if you're dedicating But you time, love a competition. I do love a oh, I, I bloody love a competition. <laughs> and if I entered a competition to then find out that the winner actually redeemed their prize before the crowning ceremony, redeemed I would be livid. <laughs> like I, I'm not surprised that people are upset about this and talking about this it's weird and I'd love to know what was going on like for all those women in the background all of the contestants who were watching Miss Texas be crowned what was the chatter going on for them to all leave the stage without congratulating her like they all know it was rigged or really strongly suspect it was rigged in what the hours leading up to the crowning ceremony I need every single detail about this story because I am so invested I think it had to be that. I think they had to have had an inkling. They were hoping that it wasn't true and had all decided that if she was to be crowned, they weren't going to give her mm. celebration. Anyway, it's all going down at Miss USA. <laughs> I, I will give the people an update if there is one because I'm very invested. Yeah, can we please? I think that's all we've got for today's Quick and Dirty. I think it might be. Thank you, next bitch. Have you noticed the mood of the media lately? In July, Body and Soul asked, is this officially goodbye to the curvy era? This week, Sydney Morning Herald published an article titled, After Years of Progress, Are Ultra-Thin Models Making a Fashion Comeback? Over on Vogue, writer Marielle Elizabeth asked, is my body about to go out of style? It's quite literally everywhere. So what do we make of the rhetoric that thin is in? And if it's true that thin is in, who's to answer for that? Well, Kim Kardashian, right? Shut up. I knew you were going to do that. I am am joking. I know we are actually going to have a much smarter conversation about Kim Kardashian in regards to this conversation. So that was, I was just trying to rally you up. The place I think we need to start, though, of course, is noting how bizarre it is to hear bodies being spoken like as if they are trends, right? Yeah, we're talking about body types as if they're like a mini skirt, like it's in or it's out. And we've kind of witnessed this reporting and this rhetoric go on for a few months now. We've ignored it until now. Like it's a weird thing to describe people's bodies as on trend or out of trend. And I think no matter what body you exist in listening to this, it's gross. Like whether you're a thin woman listening to people over the last 10 years say thin is out, thin is out, or whether you're a bigger woman listening to people now say thin is in, curvy is out, it sucks. Like no matter where you sit on the spectrum of this, no matter what body you live in, it's still a shitty feeling to feel like your body can be in or out. We never hear that with men. It's purely about women's bodies. Yeah, I think that's bang on. And I think a huge part of this conversation has rightly though, and I do have to say, come off the back of fashion month, right? We've spoken about fashion month and how, you know, made a real resurgence. And I think the conversation obviously has to be 
for me, and I think what the better conversation is, is like why the fashion industry has returned to basically only hiring, almost only hiring thin models. Like that, I think for me, that's the starting point for the conversation is much smarter there than anywhere else. Mm, I think as well, we've also seen like a huge Y2K revival, right? Like for two years now, we've been speaking about how the early noughts or the very late nineties are it when it comes to trends. Like we have seen a real kind of nostalgic pullback to things like low rise pants, tiny crop tops. We even have this new emphasis, this very late nineties emphasis on supermodels again. I mean, you and I, of course, swept up in these trends as much as the next person. We spoke at length last week about how Bella Hadid is the new supermodel of the moment. And I don't think we've ever had a conversation naming a supermodel of the moment on Shameless in four and a half years of doing the show. But I think the Bella Hadid trend also ties really neatly into the Y2K revival. And I mean, probably in tandem with the Bella Hadid stuff, uh, a lot of people are talking about thinness incessantly. So we've got all of that going on. Like there are so many layers to this. And I think maybe what has felt a little clunky from my perspective is that despite all those layers, people are seemingly trying to explain this trend away or explain this movement away with just Kim Kardashian alone. Like take this article, for instance, which by the way, is one of dozens on the internet right now. The headline read, does Kim Kardashian's weight loss mean thin is back in? Like, uh, I think it's for me trying to, in one breath, say thin's back in. And then the next breath say, and somehow it's Kim Kardashian's fault or somehow one woman is responsible for a global movement. Yeah, I know, I know. And it's really interesting because- it's one of those really layered conversations where it's like, okay, well, can we really put the blame on like one or two women's bodies for, you know, an entire industry changing? But then I saw a tweet from Pandora Sykes that's talking about how, you know, the fashion month was really all about the thin model. And she wrote, also relevant here, the shrinking of Chloe and Kim. Usually I'd say nothing about an individual and it's not fair to call one woman out, but their dedication to slimness right now, when they were so foundational to and commercially profited from a movement towards curvier bodies, it makes this actually super fucking relevant. I agree with you to a point, but then I also kind of mainly agree with Pandora <laughs> sorry to <laughs> bail on you but I, I I do think she kind of accurately summed it up for me I mean of course it's not fair to call one woman out and say they're at fault because I also flatly refuse to accept that as the truth you cannot blame one person for a lot of things changing but they're certainly relevant to the conversation when they're so relevant to culture I, I guess for me the combo is about what came first the chicken or the egg are they responding to what the fashion industry is doing or is the fashion industry responding to them I would argue that they're responding to the fashion industry yeah I agree with that first of all I'm I adore Pandora Sykes I think she's incredible and I think she does great work I think I probably don't so neatly agree with everyone pulling in the Kardashians into tweets like this or articles about the thinness trend because to me it's kind of like it's setting us all up for failure. Every time we bring in the Kardashians to something like this and we say, oh, well, the Kardashians are thinner than ever. Or every time we try and point to the Kardashians as the excuse for our body image problems or the way the media talks about body image, we're pinning so much onto what two women do with their bodies. 
At the end of the day, what Chloe and Kim do with their bodies is entirely up to Chloe and Kim. I do think it's kind of flattening to act like they're completely different right now to what they've been. Like we have discussed in this podcast so many times about how they have been pushing diet lollipops and flat tummy teas and laxative products for almost a decade. Like they have really pushed this for so long, diet culture for so long. I am not by any means saying that Kardashians are good for body image. What I am saying is that they are an easy fall guy for us. Every time we feel like the media is doing something damaging for women's bodies and women's body image, we can point to the Kardashians and go, oh, well, it's the Kardashians again. When really, in my mind, the Kardashians aren't actually trendsetters. I actually don't think they are. I think they hold up a mirror to what is trendy at any given point. And sure, maybe they have their BBLs taken out. Maybe they had them reversed. Maybe they have lost weight. But to pin everything to Chloe and Kim Kardashian feels like a race to the bottom because we will never control what those two women do. We'll never be able to control what those two women do to their bodies. And to kind of talk about a global trend towards thinness in relation to what two women decide to eat every day or decide to go and speak to their cosmetic surgeons about feels flat to me. I feel like we should be spending our time talking about what the people at Fashion Bibles at Vogue or people at fashion houses like Miu Miu and Tom Ford are doing with their designs and how the Kardashians, yes, are following that and mirroring that. But the Kardashians are not the ones starting these trends. Yeah, but I disagree that people are saying that. I disagree that people are saying where, you know, the fashion industry are largely employing thin models and over to you, Kim and Chloe, this is your fault. What I'm seeing is people mentioning Kim and Chloe in tandem with this entire conversation, which I actually think is important to say, you know, they also might be a symptom of this. I'm not saying, I'm not saying people blame them. I'm seeing people say, I think they're relevant here for sure. But I think largely we all might actually be on the same page here in that I do think the fashion houses and magazines like Vogue are actually the ones that we need to be talking about. I think the other thing that's really interesting here is naming it all a quote-unquote trend, you know, body shapes being a trend, whether it's tongue-in-cheek, whether it's ironic, whatever it might be, whatever it is, I think actually goes away to avoiding accountability. I think in my mind when I think about what a trend is when it comes to clothing, for example, or whatever it might be, feels very much like trends are like movements, things that come in waves, things that almost just happen to us. And I know that's not actually how fashion works, but that's how we consider trends, things that just happen to us that we don't always have power over. Somehow I'm wearing low rise jeans and thongs this summer and I don't want to be. So in that sense, I find it even weirder that the word trend is being thrown around here because in my mind, it's actually just the fashion industry being deliberately lazy again and deliberately making decisions that they can avoid. Mm, I think as well, it's the fashion industry. I mean, we've seen them go for this like Y2K look again. It's the fashion industry reverting back to this, this like very archaic idea that if someone's in a low rise pair of jeans or a low rise miniskirt or that micro miniskirt that went viral earlier this year, the only person that can look good in that or wear that is a tiny, tiny, very skinny woman. And that's actually very outdated. Like it's been very interesting to see that we've gone back to these Y2K trends and put them on these tiny bodies instead of the fashion industry going, well, we can have those trends and anybody can wear them and anybody can look good in that. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely bang on. It's like these trends are from like 15 years ago and the more than, gosh, 25 years ago. And what we saw 25 years ago was thinness. 
with these Mm. trends. So I do find it very interesting. I am really interested in what our listeners think about this because I think the other thing that we keep coming back to is like, is it a case? And I don't know if this is true. I'm literally just putting out into the universe. Is this a case of the more the media talks about bodies being in and out, the shitter it makes people feel? Like I appreciate we can't ignore fashion month. I don't want to ignore fashion month. But if, if people are saying, you know, this body is in and this body is out, like does that actually serve a really terrible purpose? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm curious to hear what you both think on this. If I'm thinking about my personal uh, emotional response to this stuff, I feel far more negatively about seeing a headline that says, you know, the curvy ear is out, thin is in. Like I I find that to be far more negative than one individual celebrity happening to lose weight. Yes, Like it's the reporting on this that I find to be far more damaging than Kim or Chloe themselves. I understand that they also give some semi-problematic quotes about losing weight. Like I'm not endorsing that, but I think the reporting on them is actually the more toxic and negative thing. Annabelle, what do you Mm. think? Are you more negatively impacted when you see a headline saying this body type is out and this body type is in, or do you feel more negatively impacted by a celebrity changing their body? Well, personally for me, the Kardashians, like I don't really have my eyeballs on them like at all. So Mm. the headlines are what catch my attention and what like affect me personally. Yeah. And I think what will be interesting for your say Friday is it goes without saying here, like our perspective is very much rooted in the fact that we are like three thin women having this conversation and we might be affected by things differently to a whole host, a whole host of other people listening to this. I think we largely agree on most things, Mish, and that the rhetoric is weird. We might just slightly disagree on that whole Kardashian thing. That's fair. I, I just think it's <laughs> Which we're easy. allowed to do. We're always allowed to disagree, of course. I just think it's so, it's too convenient. It can be lazy if it's not well thought out. Yeah, I just think it's there's such an easy person to point to or easy group of people to point to and go, oh, they're responsible for the way I feel about my body when it's like, okay, they do damage. I'm not denying that. But are they responsible for all the damage? I'm not so sure. I think there are actually people in boardrooms and people who aren't so front facing that have a lot more to answer for than necessarily just two female celebrities. Yeah, and I do have to say as one final point here, as someone who has just read that biography of Anna Wintour, I think I never quite understood the level of power that she wielded in many facets of the fashion industry, particularly when it comes to this. And Mm. I think that anyone who wants to understand a little bit more about that, I would recommend that book, but I would recommend reading a lot more about her because I think if you are going to want to have a conversation about a woman in this context, then have a a conversation about a woman like Anna Wintour who's wielded real power. Guys, I think that is all we've got time for. We cannot wait to hear your thoughts on this episode in Your Say Friday. Come follow us over on Instagram. We are at Shameless Podcast. We're also on TikTok at Shameless underscore podcast. Guys, I can't wait to get back into a studio with you next week. I know. I know. (laughs) I don't actually breaking the fourth wall. I don't love these remote recordings as much. I prefer being in a room with you guys. That is for (laughs) sure. But that is fine, Michelle, of course. Hope you get better soon. (laughs) Annabelle Lee, do you have anything to add? No, much like the rest of this episode, I've been a bit quiet today. (laughs) Hard for you to get in though, Annabelle, when we're remote recording. It's like you just have to kind of sit back and come for the ride. You've been doing some beautiful little smiles. Thank you. You've been doing some beautiful, encouraging smiles. And even though the listeners haven't been able to see that, it's been wonderful (laughs) to have you on this ride. Guys, as always, we will be back in your ears on Monday for another episode of Scandal. I have the COVID sweats. Get me out of here. (laughs) Bye.
Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.